Jesus Christ is Lord. Again, Jesus Christ is Lord. Again, Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father forever and ever. And now we invite you, who are the eternal word, to come and speak to us your living word for this hour, for this day, for this time. Come, speak to us now. Your people are here to listen, to respond, to receive from you. May the soil of our hearts be good soil that not only hears, but retains. And not only retains, but obeys the word that you have spoken to us this day. Speak now, Lord. Your servants are here to listen. Together, in Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated in his presence. Thank you so much. What a blessing. I don't know if there's ever been a time in history where where we have had such continual access to information coming at us from around the world. I mean, an event happens and it seems like instantly the news of that event spreads throughout the country and times the information that we receive can almost feel like a, 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 just a cascading avalanche that buries us under the weight of often those, that news comes around suffering, pain, tragedy. But also we have information to the great injustices and the immorality and the crises that are a part of life in the 21st century here on earth. Last week, or two weeks ago, when we began our sermon series entitled Sola, I shared a quote that someone had, that I'd read years ago, I don't know, I don't have an approbation to give to the quote because I'm not sure who, who said it, but they simply said, our society is standing at a crossroads and the signposts have fallen down. And I think for all of us, if we're honest in looking around here in 21st century America on the cusp of 2014, we can bear witness to that reality. It seems like culturally and societally and as people, even many of us in our own personal lives perhaps feel that similar weight of standing at a crossroads and having the signposts fallen down. One of my favorite Old Testament scriptures as it relates to discernment and something that a scripture I often find myself referring to and referring others to and praying for and praying with about is a scripture from Jeremiah 6.16 where the prophet Jeremiah is saying to the people of Israel, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Now, if you carefully look at that scripture, you will see that there are really four instructions embedded there. First, to stand, and then to look, then to ask, and then to walk. That's a wonderful pattern, by the way. If you, this isn't 
necessarily part of the sermon directly, but just a wonderful pattern of discernment for your own lives. Instead of, again, instead of leaping into something, take a moment to stand and observe. Stop and look and ask. And then listen to hear from the Lord and then begin to walk in that ancient path. And, you know, the end of that scripture some of you may know, um, is, is a, a, almost a chilling um, correction from Jeremiah. Because at the very end of Jeremiah 6.16, he says, but you would have none of it. This was the instruction, but you wouldn't stop and look and ask and walk. But over this Advent season, during these five Sundays here in December, we are, as a congregation, taking a moment to stop and look, to ask, to remind ourselves of where that ancient path is and walk in it. And we're doing that by looking at the five sole of the ancient path. These are the five sole that have been gathered that come out of the Reformation, out of a time in history when both culture and the church was again standing at a crossroads with the signposts having fallen down. And so these five sole, these these have been given to us to help us, to remind us, to bring us back onto the path, the ancient path, the good way that the Lord would have us walk in. The first sola is sola Scriptura, or Scripture alone. We looked at that two weeks ago, and again, there's CDs and PowerPoints available in the back, or you can go to the website if you missed uh, either of the previous two messages. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Last week was Sola Fide, and Alan Ross, um, our friend from Scotland, was here to speak into that, a powerful message. Again, there won't be PowerPoint with that, but there is a CD in the back. Or again, it'll be on the website. This morning we're going to be looking at sola gratia, grace alone, and sola Christus, Christ alone, and and next week, sola Christus, Christ alone, and then at the end of the month, the last Sunday of December, soli Deo Gloria, glory to God alone. Doesn't it feel good? I mean, oh, thank you, worship team. Sorry, just a sidebar here, but just singing glory in the highest. Hmm. As Pastor Ludovic said, it's a song of freedom. It's a song of freedom. People who declare the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Mm. Love it. All right. So this morning, Sola Gratia. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to page 287, or 687, sorry, if you're looking at the, maybe I got that right. Hang on. Let me look one more time here. Ephesians, I think it's, uh, I looked it up right before, 827, page 827 in your pew Bible, thank you, perfect, we're going to be spending some time unpacking this particular passage this morning, and I want to tell you that as I was studying it on Wednesday morning, 
and studying this out and preparing, um, I felt like I got born again again. <laughs> I really did. I was just like, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, I think, was the very first scripture that I ever memorized after John three sixteen. growing up in the church I grew up in. Um, it was the, the first scripture that I memorized. But coming back again to Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, just reminded me all over again of the power of the grace of God. All right, so let's look at it together. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And what's the next word? But. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now the Apostle Paul, when he was writing this, really got completely immersed in what it was that he was saying. In fact, in the original Greek, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, is all one singular sentence. It's just one sentence. Now, having been a literature English major in college, I probably, if I'd have put in a paper with that, I would have gotten the words back, run-on sentence. But thankfully, the Apostle Paul didn't have any of our professors. (laughs) But he was so caught up in the reality of what it was that he was seeking to communicate that it just came pouring out of him. And another interesting thing, just that I want you to note, is that the very first verb in the sentence doesn't show up to verse 5. The very first verb shows up in five, made us alive in Christ. That's the first point grammatically when, and, and it, what, what Paul's doing is emphasizing this enormous shift that happens in our lives. So all of that is simply to say, I mean, I'm not trying to give you grammar lessons and, and, uh, and, and, and you know, writing lessons this morning. But I just want you to notice that embedded in the text itself, in the way that it flows, there is support 
It's supporting everything that Paul is seeking to communicate to us here in 2013 this morning. Now, he begins by outlining our human condition. And we're going to take some time to unpack this. And I want to encourage you to let this, the weight of this sit on you this morning. Because for some of you are going to have the same experience that I had this week. And you are also going to find yourselves, as it were, and I'm not making a theological statement here, but you are going to find yourself feeling like you are being born again, again today. Because I think sometimes we don't realize the full depth of our human condition. Like I said at the beginning, we look around and we hear all of the suffering, we see all of the injustice, we see all of the inequities, we see all of the suffering, we see all of the pain, we see all of the the immorality, we see all of the, the horrific things going on around us but we somehow put that out there. We somehow put it out there. But Paul takes what's out there and brings it right here when he says, as for you. Could everybody please say, as for me? Because that's what he's saying. As for you, as for me, as for us, we were dead. We were dead men, dead women walking. We were dead because of our trespasses. Paul uses two words to kind of flesh out. I mean, sometimes they're used interchangeably, but each has a nuance that helps us fully understand. The trespass means, if you have a sign, you know, when we lived up north in Kettle River area and pastored up there 25 years ago, you know, there would be signs for 100, don't, no trespassing. A trespass means a false step or crossing a known boundary or deviating from the right path. Whereas sins speaks of missing the mark or falling short of a standard. There's a mark that's been laid out for us and we fall short of that standard. That is our sins. So there is trespasses and there are sins. This is the cause for our deadness because As it says in Isaiah 59, verse 2, your iniquities, your trespasses, your sins, another biblical word is used, iniquities, have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. We are dead because of our active and passive wrongdoing, our sins of commission and our sins of omission before God. And this is harsh Hard words, but they are true and real. The reality is, before God, in our deadness and our trespass and sin, we are both rebels and failures. We have knownly, willingly crossed boundaries, and we have fallen short of his standard, and that has alienated us from his life. 
But the people around me don't look dead. I don't feel dead. But Paul is speaking about something deeper. I mean, obviously, we're breathing air. We have physical life. And yet, spiritually, before God, Paul says, what does he say? As for me, as for you, as for us, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Now the news just keeps getting weightier. Because the fact of the matter is, and this is, this is absolutely crucial for us to understand, we have to have this backdrop to understand the reality of sola gratia. Because we won't fully understand grace until we fully understand our human condition. Not only were we dead, but we were enslaved. We were enslaved. Wait a minute. I live in America. I'm a citizen of this country, or I'm a, you know, I'm I'm someone who's who's here, and 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 God is, and I've been brought here, and and by gum. I live in the land of the free. And you're telling me, Paul, that I'm enslaved? And he's speaking to, to people who are part of the Roman Empire, <laughs> which was even a vaster empire of the time, perhaps, than even America in terms of its dominance of the, the entire known world. And he says, you not only were you dad, but you were enslaved. And he goes on and he unpacks this, and here's where the enslavement happens. You were enslaved to the world. Now, what is the world? What is he speaking about? Is he talking about, you know, planet Earth and the dirt that we are on? Is he, no. He's talking about the whole social value system, which is alien to God. I don't know if you've figured this out yet, but the world system in which we live in here in America and the world system that cultures all over the world live in because every human culture is fallen and therefore within systemically within that culture are value systems and structures which are alien to God. <laughs> all right? This isn't, you know, but not rocket science, but we forget about it because we're like, you know, the frog in the kettle with the heat getting turned up, we no longer even realize how, what that looks like as the heat gets turned up around us. We don't even recognize that we're beginning to burn. John 15, 19, Jesus says, if you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. We're also enslaved to the devil. Now, pastor, please. (laughs) What are you saying? 
Read the text. And you follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. The enemy, of course, masks his domination in our lives by dressing it up in very pretty clothes <laughs> and makes it look oh so attractive. But the reality is he's a cruel taskmaster master who enslaves people who are dead in their transgressions and their sins. The devil here, speaking of Paul, is the prince of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That word air literally means a foggy atmosphere. And I, I put that up there because I think it helps us kind of get a picture of, because sometimes, do you ever feel like that? Do you ever just feel like there's just fog in the air? I don't know. Does anybody else ever feel that? It's like I don't quite get it. I, it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem right, but I can't quite put a finger on it, but I'm just kind of in a fog. I think we've all had that experience. We all recognize that there's fog in the air. Well, that's because the prince of the world, the devil, the ruler of that, and creates a lot of fog, puts a lot of dust in the air, keeps disorienting. Ephesians 6, 12, it says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is a, there is a spiritual reality which we engage on a daily basis whether we understand or know it or not or recognize it or not, but it is a reality and that reality is the enemy with the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world. Not only that, we're enslaved to the world, to the devil, and we're enslaved to the flesh. Now, the flesh doesn't simply mean your actual flesh, the skin and bone of your body, but biblically, when Paul's speaking here, he's talking about our self-centered human nature. At one point in all of our lives, there probably was a point where all of us seeking to discover the center of the universe, we found out that it was us. And it was a wonderful awakening when suddenly you realize, well, I really am at the center of everything. And then it was, but you're not. And thus the battle gets joined against the flesh, which is our self-centered human nature. Romans 8, another passage from the Apostle Paul, he says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. 
I think I've shared this before, but it's been years and years. And I, I, I'll never forget this for as long as I live. I was interacting. This was way back before I was in ministry. When I was just out of college, I managed a bookstore. And I was talking with a customer about books, and we were talking about a particular book, and, and, I, was, and I was talking about um, this particular book and the, and the worldview presented in that book and how I was uncomfortable with that worldview. And, and it, it opened up this opportunity. We were having this discussion, and I talked about, well, as a, as, you know, as a Christian, you know, I, I believe that you know, I'm, I'm called to submit myself to God and, and his worldview and the way he looks at things. And I'll never forget it as long as I live, her looking me right back in the eye and with almost a snarl in her voice saying, I won't submit to anybody. And I went, ooh. But that's our flesh. Our flesh does not want to submit to anyone. Our flesh wants to be in control. It wants to be the ruler of our lives. That's reality, people. So, here's the deal. We, that means us, that means me, are held captive to oppressive influences, both within and without, to which we willingly choose to subject ourselves. This is a choice that we make, either passively or actively, but it is a choice. To not choose is to choose. <laughs> That's really true. That works for a lot of things in life. All right? I can't choose. Well, you're choosing. You made a choice. Willingly, either actively or passively, you've chosen. We willingly choose. So, now here's then the issue. Here's where we now sort of come in close and tight. A radical disease requires a radical remedy. A radical problem requires a radical solution. So again, you've heard me say this before, but all world religions if you scrape below the surface, are all about trying to figure out how it is then in this human condition because I think virtually everybody, if you scratch below, I mean, if you look around and you see that, you know, people might say, well, that's not my problem or that's not me, but they can look at others and say, well, yeah, there is a problem out here. We see that. We know that. So, so the question becomes, how do I make myself acceptable to God? How on earth do I bridge this gap how do I find life in God? How do I bridge through that alienation? How do I break through that wall? What do I have to do? What do I have to do? And so, religions begin. I appease the gods this way. 
I follow these patterns of prayer or devotion or whatever. I do this, I do that, I follow this rule, that regulation, that purpose, whatever it is. I do these things to make myself acceptable to God. We were condemned. Sorry. A little more bad news. A little teaser there. We're going to get there. So not only were we dead, and not only were we enslaved, but we were also condemned. Now here's where the weight, so I'm going to let the weight, before we get to the full solution, let's get the weight on us a little bit more. We were condemned to the wrath of God. Oh, now there is an old-fashioned phrase that we don't hear preached about very often, and frankly, it seems just more than a little bit out of fashion and out of date in 2013 St. Paul, Minnesota to be talking about the wrath of God. Because we don't understand what the wrath of God is. We think the wrath of God is somehow his bad temper, that God wakes up with a, in a bad day. And says, well, I think I've just, I'm going to nuke a couple people today. Because I'm just not feeling very good and that will help me feel better. When we're talking about the wrath of God, we're not talking about his bad temper. Let me tell you what we are talking about. Because this is critical to our understanding. Because this is a reality. It's right here embedded in our scripture. All right? The wrath of God is his personal, righteous, constant hostility to evil and his settled refusal to compromise with it and his resolve instead to condemn it. Quote from John Stott. I love that. That is it. God is really unhappy about injustice and immorality and, and all of the inequities and all of the different problems that plague our lives, and our society's life. In fact, he is hostile to evil. The evil within us, the evil around us, he has a very personal and righteous and constant hostility to evil, and he refuses to compromise with it. by our nature. We're condemned to the wrath of God by our nature. And here's where it finally sort of fully comes in. Our nature is our natural condition is that we are members of a fallen race. There is no part of any human person that has remained untainted by the fall. There's no part of us. There is no one outside of Jesus who has been born and lived and died in perfect righteousness and holiness without ever any trespass or sin. We, every single one of us, are part of the human race which is fallen. Through Adam, through one man's sin, we all became sinners. 
as it says in Romans 5, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin in this way, death came to all people. Say all people. Say all people. Because all sin, to be sure sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. So the reality is we have an inherited, we've inherited sin and guilt, therefore we deserve judgment. Because we are dead and enslaved and condemned. Oh God, what do we do? All right, now we'll have the benediction and send you all home. No. Now you know maybe just a little, little bit of how Jonathan Edwards' hearers felt when he was preaching. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. But I don't think, we, just, we don't talk about this in polite company. And frankly, I don't want to think about it very much. But today, we've got to think about it if we're going to understand sola gratia. Is here's where we go from here. We go from our human condition to his divine compassion. And we're going to run towards the finish line now. Because I wanted to let the weight of the first thing settle on us. But now... Here we go. Let's step into the reality of his divine compassion as it's relayed for us in Acts and Ephesians 2, 4 to 9. Let us see what God has done. He, but here it is in verse 5, where it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Jesus did not come primarily to make bad people good. He came to make dead people what? Live! For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's not a life that begins after we die. That life begins after we live. When we come to Christ, He makes us alive. And He raises us up. For if we have been united with Him, Romans 6, 5-7, through 7, if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him, so the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin, but any, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. <laughs> Somebody should start shouting pretty soon. Come on. We were dead, but He made us alive. We were enslaved, but He raised us up. We were condemned, but He seats us with Christ. 
As it says in Ephesians 1, the previous passage in 1, 19b to 21, that power is the same. Speaking of the power that raised Christ from the dead, is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Instead of being condemned, we are now seated with Christ in heavenly realms. What more acceptance could we hope for? Come on! (laughs) This is way good news, people. This is amazing! This is why in Ephesians 1, Paul says that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you begin to see the glories of these things. Woo! Feel like I'm getting saved again. We are saved by grace alone. That salvation brings us life, freedom, and victory. So here's the deal. Every religion is all about what can I do to make myself acceptable to God. And Christianity says there is nothing that I can do to make myself acceptable to God. But He, by His grace, has made a pathway for me to life, to freedom, to acceptance, to victory in Him. And it is through His grace, His completely unmerited favor coming to us in Christ Jesus. Because if it was about us, we'd always make it about us. That's why no human being thought this up. Christianity is not thought up by some human being. It had to be God, because if it was up to us, we'd make it about us. We would. But he's made it entirely about him. (laughs) All right. So why did he do it? Because his mercy and kindness and love. Look at what it says in Titus 3. It says, at one time, we too say, me too. We too were foolish disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But, there it is again, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. His salvation reveals the immeasurable riches of His grace, pointing us ever and always to Him. Hallelujah! Yes! points to him. That's why it's sola gratia. It's all his grace. Let's finish it out and bring it home. Verse 10. If you're still in your text, go to verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God 
which God prepared in advance for us all to do. Our new condition. We had our human condition, his divine compassion, which creates a new condition, which says that we're his masterpiece. Is that what, that's what the word there, handiwork or workmanship, really means, is we're his masterpieces. In Isaiah 60, verse 21, it says, Then all of your people will be righteous, and they will possess the land forever. Isaiah is speaking prophetically towards a time when it will come, and they are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands for the display of my splendor. You are the work of his hands for the display of his splendor in the world. You are to shine like stars in the universe, Philippians says. We're his creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. <laughs> the new has come. Oh, man. This is so good. So good. You're in Christ's new creation. we will walk in good works. Instead of walking, Paul uses at the beginning, he talks about walking in the way we used to walk in our old human condition. He ends with how we walk now in our new condition. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. 1 Peter 2. Therefore, Romans 3, no one will be declared righteous. This is at the end of a long argument that Paul makes in Romans 1 to 3. Paul, everything I'm preaching is really found in Romans 1 through 8. I mean, this is, so you can get a fuller description there. Just go back and read it. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, there's all those, those buts right in the middle of it. But now. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Salvation is an unearned gift from God, and it must be received and activated by faith. It is by his grace alone by which we are saved, through faith. So the response, the to-do, is to receive the gift that has been given. You didn't earn it. Nothing you could have done to get it. But he gave it, and you open your heart and receive it. And new life comes in Christ. That's grace. That's sola gratia. Worship team, come on up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's just begin to thank him for his grace today. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Come on, thank him. Come on, thank him today. Let the, 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 the appreciation of that bubble out of your heart. Hallelujah. And if this morning you're here and you've never truly stepped into relationship with Christ, today 
is the day of salvation, the Bible says. And it is only through grace. So it's not going to be by your good feelings. It's not going to be because you're a good person. And I'm sure you are a good person doing the very best you can. And it's not simply because some, you know, God's a forgiving God and he's going to love you and it's going to be okay. It's because you willingly choose to submit yourself to him by recognizing I'm a sinner. He's the Savior. I need him. Please forgive me, Lord. Please forgive me. Come into my life and experience salvation. You maybe need to be born again today. You need to be born again again today in your, in your life. You need to recognize again his goodness. So, hallelujah. Let's stand together as we close. And we're going to sing a wonderful old hymn that I grew up singing. And uh, as we do, if you just want to come, if whatever, if something's just connected with you this morning, I'm going to give the benediction after we sing this. But let's stay together for just a moment as we close. And if you just need to just be washed afresh in the marvelous grace of God, maybe you've never been washed in the grace of God, right up front here are some people who will pray with you. Many years ago, I used to just say to the congregation, get it. You'd say, got it. And I'd say, give it away. So if you got it today, give it away. Give it away, this grace of the Lord. Because it's an infinite, matchless, deep ocean. And it's there for all. It's there for you, for your family, for your neighbors, for your friends, for your co-workers, for your schoolmates, for the world. And now I pray that you be filled afresh this very day. Just open your hands to receive the benediction. With the immeasurable love of God the Father, the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son. With the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours. As you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations, go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his goodness and mercy will chase you down every day of your life for his glory and power. Go in his peace and grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.